Hi, this is Dan Corver, uh, pastor here at Dalton Hill Baptist Church. <clears throat> we're a small Baptist church located in Owasso, Oklahoma. We're small enough to know you, but we're big enough to serve you and for you to serve as well. Our vision is to rescue, restore, and return to service. Rescue a non-believer or a believer who has been hurt or is lost. Restoring them to Christ in fellowship with other believers with the desire that they in turn will help others along their way. Uh, we've been going through, if you remember, we talked about Christ's likeness and we were on our series. And if you remember, we had a prerequisite to starting off, which in order to, Christ is conforming us to the image of His Son, but He's conforming those who are believers. So the first thing, obviously, is come to know Christ. Uh, ask Him into your heart. And then you have a partnership with the Holy Spirit. You also have circumstances that God uses. You also have uh, choices that we make. And then you also have, a think about it, just the, uh, what diet we're on and what kind of discipline we have. Then remember we talked about the first one, the intimacy with Christ, so that is drawing near or closer to Him, is that really our desire, which should be. And if you remember the desire, and I'll just give you the kind of the member out of the Amplified, this is our key verse, I'll read it to you again. This is Philippians 3 and verse 10, for I, my determined purpose is that I may know Him, that I may progressively become more deeply and inly acquainted with Him, perceiving recognizing and understanding more strongly and more clearly that I may in the same way come to know the power outflowing from His resurrection that I may also share in His sufferings as to continually being transformed in the likeness of His death. How many of us are really, you know, is that really our desire? And it's a continual process and that's what we're wanting to look at and we've been looking at it so that's our desire but we have to remember we can also easily uh, be led astray. If you remember, we don't know what he wants. We could be, we can depart when we have it. We can be deceived. Uh, we don't allow. We can drift. A lot of different things can happen. If you remember, a couple of weeks ago we did the simplicity. I mean by simplicity, getting rid of rid of all the clutter. A lot of things that we don't need in our life, we need to get rid of. And one of the keys that Satan will use is to bring all these things into our life that really can weigh us down we need to get rid of it and remember we said some of them was uh we looked at was saying yes to too many things how do you have trouble saying no and so you say yes to so many things that you then can get don't have time uh you don't plan to relax uh you don't enjoy accomplishment it's always one more task another another uh debt can cause you not to be able to spend time with the lord because you're so far behind your work 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 or your electronic gadgets. Keep having to get more and more of them and they're constantly uh, creating. It's supposed to make you free time and instead of often it's uh, doing the opposite. We also can easily be lured away and uh, it's a fishing term to be you know, baiting something. And uh, obviously Grady and others like to fish. There'll be certain types of things that'll attract one fish that won't attract another. And so you have the same thing in our life. There's certain things that will attract us, but won't. So what is it that Satan uses to lure us away that we have to really be careful of? If you remember last week, we looked a little bit at solitude and silence. Solitude is, we saw in Scripture, just getting away just between you and the Lord. But we saw that with, uh, with Jesus, that he had service. He then would have solitude to get away, and then he'd go back to service. He did the same thing with the disciples. He sent them out on service. Remember, he then said, come away and rest a while. And then they go back out on service. And why is it we think we're better than either one of those two? 
we need the same thing. We need to get away. Today I want to think about one that may be the most difficult. <clears throat> Maybe you're not like me, but I think so often this is one of the more difficult ones. And if you remember, as we uh, talked about uh, from our illustration, when Tom Landry was asked the question, how he could get a team of individuals to become and win championships, his statement was, my job is to get men to do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to achieve. Well, okay, let's just use that comparison. And so basically, what is he asking them to do? He's asking them to surrender. And that's probably one of the hardest things for a Christian to do, is to surrender. Surrender your grip. How many like to have grip on everything? And I think we need to recognize we have to surrender our grip. And I'll tell you, this, just ponder, first of all, the comparison between the gridiron and Christ's likeness. Do we both know the destiny? Christ wants us to become Christ-like. On a football game, on the gridiron, your purpose is to what? Win a championship. So you both know where you're wanting to go. The trouble is, on the gridiron, it's made up of three things. Offense, defense, and special team. Offense has to score points. Defense has to keep the others from scoring. And special team is trying to get field position. So everybody kind of knows their, their role. But when it comes to Christ's likeness, what does it tell you in Isaiah 55? My ways, not your ways. My thoughts, not your thoughts. So do we really, we know he's going to get us to Christ's likeness, but does he know how he's going to do it? No. And how, so that's why in Proverbs 3, trust the Lord with what? All your heart. In all your ways, what? And he'll direct your path. And that's the difficulty. So when it comes to the pondering, we know what we're doing in a football game so far as, but when it comes to Christ's likeness, we know where he wants us to go, but we don't know how he wants to get us there. And does he always get each person there the same way? And so what happens is, even in our own life, when we're explaining or talking to somebody else, we can tell us how he's doing it in our life, but their life may be a little bit different than what he's the path he takes them on. So think about it. <clears throat> Why do you find it so hard to surrender? Why do you find it so hard to surrender? Let's look at the pattern of what we have. Look over in Philippians chapter 2 for a moment. It's a very well-known passage. Often called the kenosa passage, which means that's a Greek word for to empty yourself. But in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to go, oh, I kind of skip a couple of verses and first go to the desire. We have a pattern. Remember, we were pondering the difference between the gridiron and our personal walk with Christ to Christ's likeness. But notice the pattern in verse 5 when you look at it. You think about this, what's it tell you? I guess it helps if I got it on the right page. Chapter 2 and verse 5. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. So our desire is we need to have the same attitude Christ had. How simple is that? Okay, now go back just a couple of verses. So that's the desire. I need to have the same attitude that Christ had. Notice the demands. These are actual commands in verse 3 and verse 4. you got four of them. 
Notice in verse 3, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. Don't do anything from selfish ambition. How many of you have a real hard time? How many of us want to do things for our own ambition? That's a direct command. They told not to. Notice the second one. Notice in verse 3, it says, With humility of mind, let each one regard one another as more important than himself. How many have a like to put somebody else above you? Mothers are real good at it. The little ones are crying, they're doing all the rest of this, and they're getting up in the middle of the night, they're doing all these things. But we're told to do that with one another. All of us. Did Christ think of us more than himself? So think about it. Nothing from selfish ambition. Consider everybody more important than yourself. Notice the second, the third command then. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests. Does it mean you shouldn't look out for your interests? Obviously we need to eat. We need to do the different things. Take care of ourselves. But then don't only do that. But how many people that we work with or any of Christian, non-Christian only look out for their own interests? It's amazing how many times I've talked with people who are business in business, especially when I was doing the art service, and they were Christians, and they were doing things that weren't ethical, and their answer would be, well, you know, with that, you know, church you do this, but business is business. And you're acting this way. No. It should be the same seven days a week. But notice the fourth one then is, but also look at the interests of others. Is their interest going to be different than mine? And I think it's important, that's also why we're, when we're told to train up a child in the way he should go, each one has a different bend and different abilities. Uh, my kids all like literature and other things. Uh, and Gene will tell you my literature ability is zero to none. I mean, but they're very good at it and they understand all this stuff, but they take more after her on that aspect. But if you're wanting to work with them, you have to then steer them in the right direction. I originally thought Will would take over the business sponsor. That's not his bent. You can't force somebody into something that's not with their... Okay, so when you look at it, when we want to be like Christ, we have to then surrender our interest for what's best for them. Not what we want them to do, but what's best for them. And to stop and you think about it. Notice the display now. I want you to think, you know, we talk about this often, but... Notice the display. Then. So we have the desire to be like Christ. The demands do nothing from selfish ambition. <clears throat> Consider others more important. Don't look at your own interests. Look at the other's interests. But then notice the display in verse 6. Who although he existed, this is talking about Christ, in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Did Jesus ever stop being 100% God? No. He's 100% God. 100% man, but notice, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, being in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. So the oldest then, he was 100% God, and when he wanted to, he could walk on water, but notice he only did it when the God the Father said to do it. He surrendered His will to the will of the Father. And we're told to do the same thing. He had the ability, but He surrendered it 
take this cup from me, but not my will, but thine be done. Could he have called 10,000 angels and done different things? He could have done a lot of different things. But he humbled himself. Notice it said that we are supposed to be like Christ, and that's what Christ is trying to make us. But are we doing our part to get there? So every time we're looking at it, our comparison needs to be comparing ourselves to who? To Christ. And how do us compare ourselves to each other? Glenn was doing better than Dan. Okay, he must be doing well. You know, okay. But, you know, we do that a lot. We compare ourselves. We need to be constantly comparing ourselves. Did he give up a home? Did he think of other people? According to Isaiah 55, he said he did not have any form or majesty for men to be attracted. So in other words, when he came, he intentionally chose not to be physical appearance to people to be attracted to him physically. If you and I had a choice to come back, what would we have done? How many of us would have chose to have the body of this whoever you want, this great looks of some movie star and all? He chose to do it to where nobody would follow him for his physique or for his physical appearance. He wanted you to follow because of his words. And he gave all these different things up. He healed people. He did all these things. Constant demands on his life. But he always had time for the Lord too. Spend time with him in prayer, fellowship, and so on. So you stop and think about it. Then you go down, notice in verse 9 to 11, then after the death and resurrection, notice, therefore also God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of those on heaven and earth and under the earth. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you have the display, but then also, also the destiny is rewarded. We will become Christ-like and following His examples, we will likewise be rewarded, but we'll be rewarded in eternity. So the question, you can really stop and think about it. Am I willing to follow Christ and totally surrender? How many of us are willing to surrender job? Okay, I'm willing to do whatever job God wants. Or how many of us are saying, I'll only do certain jobs? I think it's important, a lot, and that's a question because a lot of times, and I've talked with a number of ladies who are, and you're talking to them, they've been home with their kids, and they think it's demeanor. Like, All I am is a housewife. All I am is a mother. Hey, that's, I'd say that's a pretty good calling. And why so many of them do go to work? Not that there's anything wrong with working out of the home, but how many of them do it for their own self esteem? Instead of asking them if that's what the Lord wants. But what about not only uh, what about uh, home? How many of us are willing to go anywhere the Lord has us go? I was reading or listening to uh, Darlene Rose. We may do it on Wednesday night. I don't know if you've heard her testimony. But 43 years going to New Guinea, and the first time they come over the mountains, they're having to wear all these things. And when they get there, they, their legs and everything else are covered with leeches. Now, how of you are willingly going to go to a place? When you're covered in leeches and every day you've got to, to burn them off or put stuff on you to get rid of them. Oh, the Lord is leading you to do it? All right, Lord, hey, come sign me up, right? No, Lord, has, that's not my home, huh? Not my job. Not my home. You know, what about the uh, resources? We have resources. God given us resources. How many of us think it's all mine? 
Are they his resources and we're simply the manager of them? And we stop and think about it. We move up in our status of resources, but what's the purpose of us moving up? Is it just for my own personal benefit? I'm going to stop and think about my aptitude. Who gave you the ability? Psalms 139, who's the one that designed you? Who has your day's number? We have to be working, surrendering what to, everything we have. There isn't anything we have that we know. Christ surrendered every single thing. And when He died, what did He own? But did He make any impact on the world? And so I think it's important for us to think about it. Notice the possibility. So we looked at, you know, to ponder, there is a difference with the gridiron and with Christ's likeness. We know where He wants us to take us, but it's different. We're not sure how He's going to get us there. He's going to conform us, but not always the same. Our pattern, then, you remember, is that of Jesus following His pattern. Let's look at a possibility. Look over in Hebrews chapter 12. Notice what it says in Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, the possibility, did they make it? He's looking in Hebrews 11. Did they walk by faith? Did they surrender to God? And I want you to remember, you know, you think about it, the possibility, it can be done to follow Christ. We have relatives in Hebrews 11 that show us it can be done. But also, I think as you go back to chapter 11 and verse 6, and they'll tell you how they did it. Hebrews 11 and verse 6, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. So if we're going to walk, trying to become Christ-like, He's going to take us on a path of what? Faith. You have to first come to Him. Second, you must believe that He's there. How many times you go in prayer but you don't think God listens, He's not there? And notice the third thing, He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. How many of us will come to Him? How many of us believe He's listening? How many of us believe He's going to reward us? And we walk by faith. But you'll notice, everyone in this Hebrews 11 passage had a different walk of faith. Some did the work of faith. How would you like to build an ark? It takes you 120 years for rain that you've never had. How much ridicule do you think you have? And you preach for 120 years, and how many people do you have to show for? Just your immediate family. How many of you want to do a sacrifice of faith? Isn't that what Abel did? How many of you want to do the wake of faith? When God tells Abraham you're going to have a son and you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait. Each one had a walk of faith but every one of them was different. How would you like to be Joseph? God meant it for evil. Or you meant it for evil but God meant it for good. How many of us could have said that after people sold you into slavery and all those different things you went through? Or what about Daniel? How would you like to be Daniel? 
going as a youth and going there and then basically serving the very king that destroyed your nation and being a leader to him. You stop and think, all of them had walks of faith. All of it was different. And I want you to, I hadn't really noticed that before, but I've noticed it this past week, it was pointed out to me. Go back to chapter 12 for a moment. So notice we remember our relatives. It is a possibility. And in fact, uh, on that part, in Colossians 2 and verse 6, what does it tell you? It says, As you have come to him, so walk you in. You came to Jesus by what? Faith. Now we have to walk by faith. How many of you come to Jesus by faith? I believe he died on the cross for my sins. He's taken away faith. And then how many of us want to walk by sight afterward? And we have to walk by faith today just like we did with salvation. But notice the path. How do we get there? They did it. They tell you how to do it. Notice in verse 1, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. We have to remove the weights. It's an interesting word. It's uh, it's a word for mass. And it says weights, plural. But each one of us has a different weight we have to take off. In fact, in the early days, do you know how the athletes would take, get, take advantage of this? The athletes ran without clothes on because they didn't want anything extra weight. Now, how many of you like to get out there and run in a total nude for everybody to watch you? But hey, you were, you know, you had nothing extra to weigh you down. But, uh, that's how they would take it. But notice it says every encounter. But notice it's also personal. What's weighing you down may not be weighing somebody else down. How many times do you and I put on weights that we don't need to be putting on? In practice, you might. When I ran, and then when I will ran, you have special shoes that you run in on, on uh, race day. But they aren't the same shoes you wear during practice. Why not? Because the practice shoes have a lot of support in them, so you don't injure your feet. But when you come to race day, you wear the lightest pair you can find. It has some support, but it's much lighter. And so they would wear much lighter. But even you have to know... Uh, it, the course too because there's different size spikes I didn't know that we were wearing them every day and had too much but what happens if you get on a hard track and you have long spikes what happens when it's an asphalt track so I think it's important to know what you're, you're in so stop and think about it you remove the weights that's a personal choice we have to make we have to look at what's weighing me down and so what you notice any of the, the athletes, the distance runners, how many of them are carrying an extra 20 pounds around? They're not. They'll never win if they do. What's holding us down? Notice the second thing that you have on there. The sin which so easily entangles us. Reject the entanglement. Notice it uses a definite article. Notice it doesn't say A. What is the sin? Go back to chapter 11. What is, they were told to walk by faith. If they're not walking by faith, that the sin is disbelief. Throughout the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 3, Hebrews 6, so on, it's disbelief. God tells you, the Israelites, what to do, and they wouldn't believe Him. 
some of us get so easily entangled by the sin of disbelief. Give you an example. When they asked Moses to go lead the children of Israel, what he did? I can't do it because what? Can't talk. What did Gideon say in Judges 6? Can't do it. Why? I'm the least of my family. You look at most all of them, they have an excuse. Disbelief. They overcame that. What's keeping us from? You stop and think about it. Did the would you agree that the eleven disciples turned the world upside down? And what kind of training did they have? You think about it. Isn't it, even when you get the backs four, how did these uneducated, untrained people do all this? Their confidence, their power. Of course, they have the confidence and the power from the Holy Spirit. The training that Jesus gave them. But isn't the same training that Jesus gave them in our Bible too? Isn't the same Bible the power that they have, we have? So I think it's important to recognize they rejected the entanglement of disbelief. Look at the third one. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Run relentlessly. The word, therefore, endurance is an interesting word. It's ubomento, which in the it's also ustello, which is in the previous chapter. One is to your choice is to shrink away, or to be unwavered. And ubomento is endurance. You're unwavered. No matter what's coming ahead of you, you're unwavered. You're going on. How many of us are unwavered? The word there for race. What English word do you think comes from that? S-A-G-O-N-A. Agony. We are in a long distance race. It's a race of life. And we aren't going to shrink away. We're going to go. But notice I think it's interesting too. It's we each have an individual race. I think it's interesting. We all have an individual race. We run it alone. But one I hadn't noticed before, notice it says at the end of verse 1, the race that is what? Set before you. Who selects the race? God does. Exactly. How do you know, you know, whenever you go out and run on different tracks, we've been with Will and when I ran, you'd get there early for what reason? You could walk the track, you could walk across country to walk the race so you'd know where the turns were and all the rest. And at times I remember seeing leaders take the wrong way and end up losing because they lost 100 yards or whatever before they realized they're on the wrong one. But notice in this one here, you don't know where it is at. You don't know how long the race is. It's individual. One of you may be running 27 miles. One of you may be running 50 miles. You don't know. You don't know what course you're on or anything else. Now, when you are slower, and some will in last year, when they went down to OSU, he didn't. They weren't allowed to be on the track ahead of time because of the weather and that kind of stuff. But his rate, his runners were not fast enough to be in the lead. So for him, it was okay because they're going to be following the ones in front of him. But notice, we're all on an individual race. 
individual track. But if we don't want to get off the racetrack, we have to be relying on who? I have to surrender to the author who has put me on that race that knows what I need and knows where he's taking me. I don't know where he's taking me, where the finish line is, or anything else. But how us think we know? And we tell him. But think about it. We're running relentlessly, alone, an agony race, a long-distance lifetime race. Notice the next thing that you have. We have to restrict our vision. Notice in verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. The word there for author also means pioneer. You want the perfect example of how to run a race, a lifetime race? Look at the one who the pioneer and the perfecter of exactly how to do it is Jesus Christ. That's why we're told in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, have this attitude in you which is also in what? Christ Jesus. We want to know how to do it. Keep our eyes on Him. And I think what happens, how many of you need to put some blinders on? They put blinders on horses for what reason? Okay, you have one horse that won't run against the rail. What's the shortest distance around the track? On the rail. So if you have a horse that won't run around the rail, you put a blinder on which eye? His left eye. Since horses can see about 270, 200, 300 degrees, if they don't like horses coming from behind them, you put blinders where they can't look back. Some horses don't run when a horse comes alongside them. Then you don't want to put it, you put a blinder on the right side where they can't see out. All they can see is up. Some of them like it, some don't. So it's blinder is designed for each individual horse. We have to put blinders on ourselves as to what's keeping us from looking at Christ. Whatever that is. We have to put those blinders on. And notice what it tells you then too. You think about restricting. Keep it on Christ. And notice it's interesting who for the joy set before Him. I would have used some different words. How about you? You're going to leave where I'm wanting to go, heaven, to come here, to die on the cross and be treated the way you are. And He came with joy and did it because of His love and obedience and surrender to His Father. How many of us are doing the same surrender? Look at it. It goes on. I think it's interesting. Restrict our vision. And then notice in verse 3 down to verse 4, when it really gets bad, it says to recall Christ's suffering. It says, how many of you have gone to the point of shedding? And notice you do that, verse 3, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinning against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. It's easy to do it until you look and see what Jesus has gone through. Notice it, you know, it says he was beaten beyond recognition. No, none of our movies can show that. I don't think we realize just how bad that was. When they give the beating from the Romans, many people died from the beating before he ever got to the cross. And then obviously carrying the cross and then being on the cross, being among uh, your thieves and everybody else. 
think about it. He did it all for us. So we think we've got it bad. Just look what He went through. What He gave up. What He went through. And why He did it. And that's why you then go down from verse 5 down to verse 11. It says to receive His discipline. We have to receive His discipline. You have in verse 5, you can be indifferent, overwhelmed, or so on. It's interesting you go down to it. He said he scourged every son he received. The word for scourge is flogged. How many want to get flogged by God? You ever been flogged by him? Why does God do that? He's trying to make us Christ-like. You'll notice the answer is in verse 11. Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. He's disciplining us to make us Christ-like. So when I get off track, what's He going to do? He's going to get us back on track. So you stop and you think about it. How many of you really want to be Christ-like? You know, He tells us what to do. We're going to have to surrender. He knows where He's taking us. He knows what path I'm on. He knows it's a life on. He knows what's ahead. I don't know any of those things. But what happens, how many of us are constantly taking the, taking the reins, giving them back, taking them back, giving them back. And we need to let Him have it, and we have to surrender to what He wants, whatever that might be. Think about some applications then when you <clears throat> look at this. What weights do you need to remove? What is it that's keeping you from doing it? And those can be good things. If there's things that is keeping you down, they may be good for somebody else, but for you, you need to get rid of them. What do you not believe in God about? He's wanting you to do something, and He's prompting in your spirit to do something, and you're going to be like Moses, I can't speak. Which is interesting, because according to the book of Acts, what description under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit does it say about Moses? He was mighty in word and deed. He didn't have a quick retort. Doesn't mean he couldn't speak. I think it's important when you look at it. What are your eyes fixed on? So often we get our eyes fixed on something it shouldn't be fixed on. How many of us need to put on some blinders? We may have to make some. Which I, whatever it needs. What do I need to surrender? Do I need to surrender my position, my plans, my possessions? Possibly the hardest one is people. How many of you find it very hard to surrender people to the Lord? What about your kids or your grandkids? How many of us have a hard time surrendering to them to Him? Or do we tell God how what He needs to do for them when we're in charge? When they had training wheels, you put training wheels on, you go alongside them, you take the training wheels on, and you be beside them. There comes a time, though, you have to do what? you got to let them go. And we have to surrender and give them to the Lord. Who's, that's His child to begin with. And we have to allow God to do His part. So I think we have to surrender all those things. Position or plan, possessions, people, whatever it might be. We're told the same thing in James, remember? Plan, but remember, if the Lord wills, He can change it, whatever it might be.
We'd love for you to come and visit with us and fellowship with us. We're located at 8263 North Owasso Expressway, which is on the east side of Highway 169 North, between 76th and 86th Street North. We have coffee and fellowship from 8.30 to 9 Sundays, followed by Sunday school for all ages from 9 to 9.45, and our Sunday morning worship service is from 10 to 11. We likewise have a Wednesday night service for all ages from 7 to 8. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, and in every way the Lord be with you all the time.